This morning, I want to speak for a brief moment about altered hearts, altered hearts. I want to read from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who cannot empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Holy Spirit, help us this morning. Amen. I'm so encouraged in this moment. I have five primary anchors in my life. All of us are familiar with the malls, the place where we shop. When you walk through the mall, you find places like Starbucks. If you have four daughters like me, you've spent time in Claire's. Um, <laughs> or a son like mine, you've spent time in Foot Locker. And there are so many stores in the mall. However, there are some key stores that we call anchor stores. Nordstrom. Macy's, and there are others. And the mall has AC throughout. It has electricity throughout. If Starbucks goes down or Claire's goes down or Foot Locker goes down, the mall doesn't go down. But if Nordstrom's and Macy's go down, the mall is gone. The real estate in the mall is 60 to 80% anchor stores. 20 to 40% all the other stores. What are the anchors in your life that fuel everything else? My four primary anchors are my father in heaven, my family, my friends, and fitness. I have to maintain those four for everything else to run well. Because if I'm off on one of those, everything else, non-sustainable. Today, I just want to speak about altered hearts, which for me happens with the first primary anchor, relationship with the Father. I have the privilege of waiting tables. That's my response when people ask me, what do you do for a living? I wait tables. I didn't realize it at first, but I wait tables. I've never served in a restaurant. I wish I had the pleasure because I think I'd learn even more. But the first table I wait is my wife, Marianne, and our five children, our daughter-in-law, our granddaughter. And the second table I wait is Grace Covenant Church. Then I wait as a character coach at the University of Maryland. It's funny, servers at restaurants, they usually wait more than one table, too. But the great thing about going into a restaurant is that a hostess will greet you, they'll seat you, and then a server will appear and be with you the rest of the evening. They'll make recommendations. They will make sure your glass is never empty. They'll make sure your plate is served with hot food. And for me, at the end of the day, it's to offer you bread and wine. And some of you hear what I'm talking about. I serve tables. May God reveal to you the tables he's called you to serve. It is an honor to wait tables. 
to be the one who's not seated, but to be the one who serves on behalf of the king. The passage we just read is so encouraging. One of the tables I serve as a character coach, I try to speak language that is familiar to their ears. And so we talk about X and O strategies. Coaches know a lot about X and O strategies. And so in that context, I tell them, I said, I want to tell you the greatest X and O strategy of all humanity. The greatest X and O strategy is not the one you draw up on your whiteboard. The greatest X and O strategy is the one that was executed from heaven from all eternity. See, the X, Jesus took it and tipped it up on one edge, and he allowed himself to be hung on it in order to save us. I grew up in a church in my early childhood where the cross was prominently displayed in the church, and it became a picture for me of how I would view God as my Savior because the cross speaks about salvation. Aren't you glad that he saves? But then he took this old circle we call the empty tomb, and three days later he got up. And that's the O, the resurrection. Not only does he save, but the same God who saves is the God who was raised three days later. And so I've grown up understanding the X and O strategy of all eternity. That's the real X and O somebody. The real X and O is what Jesus has done for all eternity because the games we do here, they're temporal. But that game, that one was for eternity. And he won. He won. Now, I love the cross and I love the empty tomb. But the writer here says, I want you to understand something. He ascended. Most of my life I've related to Jesus out of the X and the O without recognizing the throne. And how you see him, your view of him, shapes how you live out your life. And in this half of my life, I am learning to practice being in his presence at the throne by his invitation daily. Are you with what is being said in this moment? You see, Jesus ascended, and it says this, let us with confidence approach, not the cross, not the tomb, not the cross, not the tomb, but let us with confidence approach Come to, if you will, the throne. We were singing this morning. Told one young man, I want to bounce with you. We're just worshiping. It's a throne room moment. When you come to the throne room, it's all different. He said, let us with confidence approach the throne of God. Why? That we may receive, not achieve. The approach is not one of achieving. The approach is one of receiving. And this morning, let us approach that throne receiving. Receiving, not achieving. Most of our life is spent trying to achieve when most of our life needs to be receiving so that we have something to offer. Isaiah said this one time. He says, all that we have accomplished, you, God, have done for us. That flows out of receiving. 
And when you come to his presence, James says it this way. He talks about coming into his presence. He says, when you come, how do you come? He says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. Isn't that good news? Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Then he says, be washed, be cleansed. You see, the coming to him daily requires that we be washed because we live in a world that needs to be clean. And so we say, Lord, wash me, cleanse me. Is there anything you need to be washed of today? Any activity of your hands, any impurity in your heart? Come into his presence. And when you experience conviction, that's a good thing. It means you're approaching him because you're now able to see what is invisible in your own eyes but made visible in his presence so that you realize you need to be washed. Come, because if you're going to sit and be in his presence and have a meal, you need to clean up. Don't you have your kids wash their hands before they sit down at the table? Why would you want to come into God's presence and not say, stop right here and get washed, get cleansed, right? So it's a good thing. So wash and cleanse, and then you start to receive, because the washing and cleansing is the removal of dirt. It's the taking away of our sin. It's the taking away of our guilt. It's the taking away of our shame. It's the removal of those things. But after he removes all that, then you get to receive what you need. He says mercy in this instance. How many need mercy today? But mercy is not all that's in that place or with that person. When we come into his presence, it's by invitation of the Father. And it's an invitation of love. Isaiah 6 says it this way. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. Next part. And the train of his robe fills the temple. What is he saying? Isaiah is talking about active worship. It's not just an experience. It's a template for what's happening this morning. That Jesus himself is currently seated. Not on the cross. Not in the tomb. He's seated. He is seated right now. Presently. Seated on the throne. The view we need to have is one of our God. Seated on the throne. And because he's seated right now, he then says, come. Because the next verse says, and the train of his robe fills the temple. Which we have to read the psalmist in Psalm 68 to understand. When it says, when he ascended, he led people. He led captives in the train of his robe. So when he says the train of his robe fills the temple, Isaiah is saying that in his presence, this God who is sitting with all authority, all power, all government, the exercise of his power is to bring us into his presence. Most people use authority in an abusive way. God says, my authority is to bring you back to myself. Oh, I love the use and the exercise of authority. It's a loving father who says, come here. Jesus coming in with the train of his robe. When he got up from the grave three days and he said, don't touch me, I haven't ascended. He didn't go alone. He took a group with him. Brought them into the throne room. And all those who've done greatness on the earth, they all speak about seeing him on the throne. Isaiah saw him on the throne. Ezekiel saw him on the throne. John saw him on the throne. Start hanging out with people who see him on the throne. Start hanging out with people who see him on the throne. Start hanging out with people who see him on the throne. He says, come here. I'm going to wash you. I'm going to cleanse you. You need to confess some things. See, we suppress and we implode. We express violently and we explode. God says, don't suppress, don't express, confess. Say what I say about it. 
When you say what I say, when you agree with me, now you can be washed. Don't minimize your sin. Call it like it is. Lord, forgive me for my impure thoughts today. Forgive me for the activity of my hand that was not pleasing to you today. Would you wash me? Would you cleanse me so I can come close? Then when you come close, guess what? You start receiving. But you don't just receive mercy. There's no comfort in the world except that comfort which comes from God because he's the God of all comfort. And when you receive comfort, it's not just for you and your trouble. It's so that you can have it to give comfort to others who need it. Comfort's not just to get you out of trouble. Comfort's to comfort you while you're in your trouble. You didn't get that. True comfort comforts you while you're in your trouble without the trouble being absent because God's present. That's what makes comfort comfort. Comfort's comfort whether trouble is present or not. I got comfort. I don't need trouble to be gone to have comfort. I have comfort. David said it in the Psalms. He said, this is my comfort in my suffering. He didn't need suffering to be absent to be comfortable. If you don't know that, you haven't experienced comfort. You've only experienced the absence of your problem and felt better, but you weren't better. It's like the thing that masks the sickness, but you feel better, but you're still sick. So these throne room moments are to receive, not achieve. Because when you receive in the throne room, Life is different. You have all kinds of rooms. You've got your living room. You've got your family room. You've got your career room. You've got the courtroom. You've got boardrooms. But all the rooms you walk through in life, you are inadequate to be who you're supposed to be, to do what you're supposed to do, to go in the way you should go until you've been in the throne room. But from the throne room, you can pivot to any other room. God says, come to me. Anybody weary this morning? Anybody lacking power, feeling weak today? Anybody anxious? Anybody? God says, come to me and let me wash. And then what happens as he washes? You start coming into his presence, and as you do, as you do, he begins to remove from you. And then he lets you receive. You come to the throne room, say, Lord, I'm weary this morning. And he says, let me wash away your weariness and receive new strength. Then you pivot from the throne room to your other throne, any other room, and you can offer whatever it is that he wanted you to give because you have strength now. You have mercy now. You have grace now. You have everything that comes from him. And how do you know you received it? You know you've received it because when you pivot from the throne room, without necessarily having to leave it, by the way, you can give it to others. How do you know you receive forgiveness? Because you can give it to the person who offended you. But if you can't give it away, you didn't fully receive it. How do you know you receive mercy? Because you can give it to others who you would not in yourself give it to. How do you know you receive power? Because there's something flowing out of you that's dynamic, that's doing something that you couldn't. This is the template of how we practice our life with God. And we're going to practice this morning. How's that sound? Because we're already in the throne room. Worship just set it off. You with me? Okay, I'll make one point, and then we will have a moment together. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Joshua said something at the end of his service. Um, Joshua succeeded Moses in the leadership of the nation of Israel. 
And he makes a statement that most of us are familiar with. After 30, 31 campaigns, battle, God telling him, don't be afraid, I'm with you. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. At the end of it, where he knows he is ready to transition, he says something to them. He just says, if it seems evil in your eyes to serve God, okay. But if serving God seems right to you, serve him. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. Now, that's a statement. How many of you have heard that? I, I, I've forgotten how long it's been that I've heard that, said it, prayed it, preached it. But I want to contextualize it because it's at the end of a moment, which I believe you can see at the beginning of a moment that radically shaped him. When he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is not just a man making a statement. You think about national leaders, of which Joshua was. When they speak, there's weight to their words, not just because it's a good statement that you should tweet, but because it comes out of the substance of the life of the leader. Do you understand what I'm saying? I can say the same thing that somebody else who's a leader can say it, but you hear it different from them because of the life that it comes out of. You know I didn't just get it reading the book in Starbucks. Or maybe that's where I got it. But they wrote the book. (laughs) You follow the difference? So when Moses says it, just because you repeat Moses doesn't mean it's going to sound the same way. There's another sound. It's it's forged out of you. It comes out of your pain, all that. So I think Joshua, when he speaks, it's like this. Where did he get that? I don't know, but this is still cooking. And you just happen to be in the kitchen with me, if you don't mind. Hopefully the aroma is enough to keep you. The, 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 The go back to the beginning. The first campaign, there's this moment where Joshua comes up near Jericho because this is going to be the first battle. And he's a warrior and he's a godly man. And as he comes up preparing for the battle, he finds himself in this moment where he says to a man he sees standing with with an outstretched sword. And he says this word to him. Ask a question. It's a question that everyone's asking. Are you for us or for our enemy? Whose side are you on? This is Joshua, a godly man, who sees this man standing in front of him with a sword stretched out, and he comes up to him, knowing he's about to go into battle, and says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the response silences all humanity. The one with the outstretched hand is not of human origin. The one bearing the sword responds simply, neither. Excuse me for a moment. I'm better now. Because our culture keeps asking, whose side are you on? Are you Jew or Gentile? Are you Catholic or Protestant? Are you Republican or Democrat? Are you this or that? Whose side are you on? And the voice from heaven says, neither. 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 But I am here as the captain of the host of the armies of God. What say ye? And Joshua, like a reasonable man, falls down on his face and says these words. Here I am, your servant, 
He had a strategy, he had a game plan, he knew what he was gonna do, but he had to be confronted with the reality of eternity that says, you don't understand something. Men make distinctions among themselves that I have not. Moses said the only thing that distinguishes us from any other people is not your gender, not your political affiliation, not your uh, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic. It's the presence of the Lord. What else will distinguish us? What else will distinguish us? You say, but wasn't that the right side? If it was the right side, then why did Achan die? Wasn't Jericho the Canaanites the wrong side? Well, if they were wrong, why was Rahab right? Be careful where you draw a line. Be careful where you draw a line. There's only, there's only God. And when, he's, when you, the, the question isn't whose side are you on. That's not the question you put before God. The, the answer is, here we are. Yours. And then he unfolds a strategy about how to move forward. Just play if you will. Daddy, thank you for calling us to come to yourself. Nobody can wash us but you. Nobody can cleanse us but you. Our hands aren't clean. Our mouths aren't clean. We've spoken against leaders. We've spoken against our brothers and our sisters. We've said things in our heart against them that you've not spoken. And for that, we repent. Would you wash us? Would you cleanse us? For listening for tuning in to earth more than tuning into heaven, for tweeting and retweeting things that didn't come from heaven. But thank you for all the tweets that did come from heaven. I'm glad that there's more than Facebook. I'm glad there's your face. you're here this morning and you know God's doing something in you and you need to be washed, you need to be cleansed, just raise your hand wherever you are. All over this place, raise your hand high. Let's come. He says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you and I'll wash you and I'll cleanse you. Just begin to, don't suppress it. The Holy Spirit is doing something. Don't express it, confess it. Whatever's coming up in you right now that God is convicting you of, would you just confess it to him? I'm going to be quiet. Don't let the silence be awkward. Let it be you having an altar moment. Why? Because when you come to the A-L-T-A-R, you leave A-L-T-E-R. 